2: Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Back of the
0: Nest Review Show. Sponsored by Pitch Sport. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com
1: Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review show. After the positivity of the Fulham win, Palace came crashing back to earth as a clinical and talented Wolves side ran out comfortable 2-0 winners at Molyneux. The poor first half ended the game as a contest with Palace unable to break down their opponents in an improved second half display. On the show this week, it's just me, Chris Hambling and Dr. Kerners. Hello, Dr. How are you doing?
0: of the Nest.
2: Sponsored by Pitch Sport. PitchDMM.com.
1: It feels like you and I spent three hours together talking about Palace versus Wolves
0: yesterday. No, we spent two hours, then I spent an extra hour doing a post-match show, yeah, yeah, yeah. and now we've got this as well. But it's been a while since I've been on a review show. Yeah, I like, like, you
1: you, oh, like Oh, I can't do Sundays. Oh, yeah, God, yeah. Poor me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah. do Sundays. So we're doing it on a Saturday. And... Uh, I don't know if it's going to be exciting, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's be it's be, yeah, it's going to be very difficult. yeah,
1: be very difficult, isn't it? So the fact that we we talked through the game live, um, got very angry about it, <laughs> and now we have to uh, have to do another show. But having said that, we've got that difference. We've had a we've had a you know a night to sleep on it and, and think about mm. what we saw. So we'll see if we're a bit more measured. Um, but obviously, just to give you a little outline of what's coming up. We're going to check out uh, the lineup that was, that was put out, and um, we had the one enforced change to the starting eleven, of course. But we'll, we'll talk about how we set up, look at the key moments throughout the game, analyze the goals, the major talking points, which there were there were a fair few, to be honest. Uh, we'll be looking at individual player performances, both good and bad, and I'm not sure how many come under the good category there, but we'll see what we'll see what Dr thinks on that one. Um, got a fair few questions in from you as well. We'll try and cover them as we go, or we you know may do the majority of them in a. A little section towards the end of the pod, um, and finally, uh, we'll end with a quick chat on what to expect in the week ahead. Uh, we've got Leeds coming up, of course. They've been very impressive on their return to the top flight, so we'll talk about how we see that one going. And probably a certain Patrick Bamford might come up. So before we get into the the game chat, really, just to remind you, of course, our sponsor is Pitch Sport Football. Uh, do if you just Google that or check them out on Twitter. They're at pitch Footy on Twitter. Download their app. Um, I'm finding it quite therapeutic to rate the performances on that app after the game because um, you get to rate the manager, the referee, the atmosphere, which is always nothing, obviously, at the moment. <laughs> um, and then the line-up selection. So you get to rate all those things. And, um, you know, also it's around predicting line-ups, predicting results. I was, I predicted bang on this week, DR. Wolves 2, Palace 0 was my prediction. I got the full four points in uh, in my little prediction league. And if you do sign up for that app, you can add me, K-U-G-K-U-T as my code, And uh, you can see how I'm sitting pretty at the top of the Prediction League there due to my massive negativity about everything at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Stay positive. Um, Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. So obviously we're back of the nest on all social media. Just search those words back of the nest and you'll find us on there. What we got? We got a YouTube channel. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Like and subscribe on that, right?
0: Exactly. This will be posted on YouTube because I can see your face right now and they can see my face. Um, so yeah, if you want, you can go ahead and watch us on YouTube if you prefer that way.
1: Indeed, and also, yeah, we've got an Instagram account, we've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, no TikTok yet. I don't know if Mikey signed up for it, but we've not been TikToking, have we? You <laughs> um, have no. to do too much dancing on TikTok, I don't exactly. <laughs> what something. am I going to do? Dance Royce Tactics? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, but uh, we'll see if we ever ever venture down that route. I'm not so sure. Uh, mm. Probably a bit too old and a bit too gray for that, but hey, um, obviously, on your chosen podcast apps, it will be really helpful for us. If you were to rate and review us on there, give us five stars, spread the word so more and more people can find out about the show. Um, getting an interesting mix of people, new audience from YouTube who are, who are getting involved in things and don't have the full history of just how Dr. Kern has arrived on this show. Yeah, let i um, not talk about we that. mentioned we mentioned on the, the watch-along, didn't we? And a few people were curious about your uh, your appearance as a 14-year-old from the training ground losing <laughs> a shoe, but maybe, uh, maybe we we'll need to revisit that at some point. Um, no, we don't. So <laughs> I know you don't want to, uh, but let's have a little, before we go any further, let's just have a little catch-up with, um, I mean, I usually ask you what's going on, dear, but I'm going to start with me this week. Mm. So I had a, um, as you know, I'm on a diet, um, those of you that are keen to know how it's going, if you start looking at some of the earlier videos, here, and this just compare my face size to how it, how it was, I've lost a, I've lost two and a half stone. I'm still fat. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. I've gone from basically gone from morbidly obese to just obese, which is good. That's a positive move, right? Yeah. Um, but I was getting really down about it last uh, the last sort of ten days or so because I was just I was getting on the scale. You know, you shouldn't weigh yourself every day, but it's hard not to when you're feeling positive and you're doing well and you're losing weight and it just wasn't changing i was like okay after the last so like 10 days in a row of barely eating anything like i'm just what is happening why am i not losing any weight and then i realized that i'd broken the scale you've broken the scale yeah this this <laughs> one the the sensor that measures your weight is basically one of them was they're on springs and one was stuck in yeah. so i have no idea what what weight measurements were accurate and what were not so
0: you know, you know what? I'm actually measuring myself as well because I'm trying to put on weight, so I'm the opposite of you. I don't. Have you got a digital scale or a normal one?
1: Yeah, it's digital. Yeah, yeah. It's got Force. It's got a sensor at each corner, and just one of the set, one of the uh, switches on the sensor that's got a spring are just stuck in and wedged in. So yeah. um, I've now fixed that, and uh, yeah,
0: I dropped another six pounds, but I just didn't know. Well, look. If you're watching on video, apparently I put on four to five kg um, in the past week, and I don't know. I can't really realise it. I can't really see it in my body as well. Um, so I don't know if my is broken. But I started going gym. I started going gym, um, doing a full body workout, eating, with a surplus. So yeah, yeah, I've got You, a plan you as told well.
1: me you told me yesterday what you weighed, and it was like was it sixty five kilos?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It is doesn't that after a lot.
1: you put on weight? Yeah, after exactly. you put on weight yeah, yeah. yeah do you know what I mean I think genuinely probably that's my one of my legs weighs about 65 kilos so.
0: <laughs> yeah I've got yeah. skinny legs as well but hopefully in a <laughs> couple couple months I can be at least 70 at least 70
1: well there you go I want to I want to lose another four and a half maybe five stone deer so you can put that on you can yeah, be hench, and I can be skinny yeah there give is, it no to no me
0: worries. and I'll give mine to you. <laughs>
1: Anyway, uh, let's leave that there and get into... We haven't got as much time as we usually have on this, so we're, we're going to try and rattle through this a little bit today. Uh, DR, as we usually do, we start with the lineup and tactics, and it was noticeable that you know most people were able to predict the team, but I didn't feel that was a bad thing this week. I, you know, I thought... I wasn't getting overboard, as you know, with, with the performance against Fulham. I was very keen to to note the fact that they are not a good team and we shouldn't be too excited. But having said that... I didn't see any need for any changes, but obviously aware that that Mitchell had taken a knock in training on—I think it was on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday anyway—and um, was struggling to make the make the team. So I, I thought PVA would come in, and that's and that's exactly what happened. So did that make sense to you, just to keep that team as it was in terms of the, the lineup selection?
0: Yeah, it did. It did because we. Uh... We know with Roy, he's not going to change it about, especially a winning side. And Luca, of course, he started PVA for Mitchell, and then yeah, I, I wasn't too disappointed with the lineup, of course. Um, and I knew how we was going to set up. I knew who was going to play. So I guess it wasn't a difficult job for Wolves to figure out um, on how to approach this game because if 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 we know, then I'm pretty sure that their analysis team, and scouting team, would know how we we're going to set up.
1: Yeah, exactly. And look, when they when they celebrated their goals, a lot of people noticed, as I did uh, at the time, that the the coaching staff were very smug, very very celebratory. And mm. and I think the reasons for that were quite obvious because, you know, and we'll get into it more as we talk about the analysis of the game. But I think they, because of that predictability, because they'd scouted us, and it it doesn't take much to scout us. Really, just watch any of our games. That's how we play every time. Um, And and, you know, I think they felt they knew how to hurt us, and that became really apparent when when we saw how the game panned out. But in terms of tactics and game plan, you know, we go back to this problem, and a few people have got in touch to say this. We talked about it a lot on on the live watch along. You know, you could see straight up that Palace's aim from the game was was once again to adapt to Wolves, to think about how they were they were going to attack and keep it tight, and once again see if Zaha could work some magic or, or see if we could maybe. Get a little sniff and take a chance in the game. So, I suppose in a in a cynical way, you could call that, you know, trying to shut up shop and hope to nick a win. And um, you know, we'll talk about whether we think that's the right thing to do. But as a game plan, could you see what we were trying to do as a you know as an attacking
0: force in that game? Well, starting the game off, we had that shot. Um, I think it was Wilf in the first couple minutes, and then just looking at the game plan, it. it it didn't feel like we had a plan A, unless this was our plan A of just maybe sitting back and trying to hit them on the counter. But every time we did get the ball, we decided to hoof it until we got into the game a bit more, such as like 10, 15 minutes went by. So it was a weird start to the game and Wolves absolutely dominated us. But then again, am I that surprised? No, because we approached that against Wolves, who were 20th in the league, and we just sat back. So it's just going to be one of them games where sitting back, hit them on the counter, but just sitting back on this game arguably wasn't the right choice because we saw it. As soon as the game started, the Wolves absolutely annihilated us with their fullbacks and we couldn't cope with it.
1: Yeah, there were a couple of things I picked out. You're absolutely right. I mean, they used wing backs. We saw, um, eight Nori, who's it's, it kills me when a player that we've looked at in the past, um, comes along and, and destroys us, which he did. You can see why we were keen on him. Uh, we didn't make that move for whatever reason. And, um, you know, I dare say he's a you know he's a left back, so it would have got in the way of Mitchell. And, uh, you know, probably most of us would appreciate that we would want Mitchell to come through and, and play because he's been superb and and we missed him yesterday. But having said that, you see that kind of talent on the opposition team, and it, and it get, it hurts that little bit more. But the right hand side, obviously, they had Semedo as well, who's a who's an incredible player to bring in to replace Doherty, uh, and and just as effective and and you know, even more quality. But I thought those were important, as you quite rightly say. But the biggest problem we had was their front three. So you've got Jimenez, Neto and Podens, And they just continuously exchange positions, you know. In your in your mind, you're thinking, well, Jimenez is central, you know, Podens will be right and Neto will be left or, or vice versa. But at different points in the game, particularly in the first half, they're just... They had that freedom to exchange position. That kind of creative thought from a from an opposition manager really highlights just how bad it is sometimes to have this rigidity in our side. The fact that we... I mean, how rare is it that... I mean, it's been creeping in. You know, you remember we talked about the 4 uh, 4 pre-season and the start of the season where you had Schlupp on the left and Zaha up top and the two would exchange positions and how we really liked that. We pretty quickly stopped doing that. Um, partly because Schlupp was out of the team, but... You know, now he's back. We don't seem to do that anymore. And the system we picked for this one, really noticeable that it was only ever a 4-4-2 in, in possession. And even then, that just faded away throughout the course of the game. And, you know, we've got the uh, the positions, the average positions of the side in front of us. Uh, unfortunately, can't get it on the screen for you on on, in, on the video thing. I can hold it up, but it's just meaningless. Look, you know, there, there's some dots. So you've got Fulham on the top, <laughs> Palace on the bottom, right? But basically, the, the, the difference between playing Fulham and, um, and playing Wolves was Michi Batshuayi basically was playing as a midfielder. He was so deep, wasn't he? Uh, that, that's incredible.
0: That made. It, I didn't realise it was that bad, though, watching a game. Um, afterwards, when you're looking at, the, at the, his average position, then you can easily see it. It was literally Michi, Jairo Reedward, and Luca holding hands in a triangle um, in midfield. So it, it was. I I guess you could see it when now looking back after seeing the position average position map and then looking back at the game I guess you could see it because Michi at times he was asked to defend a lot but I didn't realise it was that bad he was literally next to the midfielders and uh, you know the one thing is that Wolves didn't change about a lot you know um, they still went with the same formation that they played. But one thing that you mentioned that was important was that they had that fluidity going forward. And at times, they had five players in our box. And that caused us problems. If Wolves approached it in such a you know structured system where the fullbacks will only um, go and attack and Jimenez will stay in central position, Podence in this position, then I don't think the result would have been what it was yesterday. But just something so simple, just allowing the players to have freedom, it caused us so much problems. And we simply couldn't deal with it. But it was smart by them because they knew how we was going to approach and they just looked at our tactics and said, all right, let's just change this one little thing and let's cause them problems, which they did.
1: Exactly right. I mean, you, you would, it's easy to look back on it with hindsight and say how smart that was, but you're spot on. You know, the, the one thing we hang our hat on as a, as a Palace team is that everybody knows what their role is and where they're going to play. But without that freedom, you, you, you look at the... Um, the way that the Wolves team, not just in our penalty area, throughout the entire match, just moved our players around. How often we kept seeing, oh, what's Gyro doing on the left hand side? Oh, what's he doing on the right hand side? Mm. You know, they, they're trying to stick with players who just simply weren't, you know, weren't held back by that sort of that strict position. So it was a real clash of styles, and, and Wolves proved that with the quality that they've got, that that style is far superior to our own. And we have to be honest and say. Yes, they're a better side, which hurts. But more importantly, you know, their, their manager and coaching staff has, has absolutely done us there as well. And and we should be querying why that is with the strength of squad
0: that we've got. Yeah, you know what hurts the most? It's the fact that we, from the get-go, we realised how they're going to play. They're not going to play it through the middle. It was just out wide. However, even throughout the game, even in the second half, I know we'll talk about it. But yeah, we did play better, but we didn't adapt defensively on how to stop Wolves. We still had them free central midfielders, which was useless because looking at the average position map and looking at how Wolves played, um, they attacked mainly uh, 40% down our left side, 39% down our right side and only 21% through our middle. They, the, the midfielders of Jairo and Luca wasn't needed in a way, you know? We should have adapted and we should have made sure that we covered width and tried to stop them like that, which we didn't do. And I feel like if we did actually change it about, and if we did have a response for their attacking fullbacks, then maybe, you know, we could have stopped that. And then Wolves had to rethink about their position and how they can approach the game. But we never changed that throughout the game.
1: No, we didn't. And, and you know, you've, you've got me onto a topic that I'm going to talk about a little bit. But um, I actually, it was two weeks ago, I started looking at this. Um, it was after the Brighton game and it's something that I haven't talked about because it's a very very difficult um thing to start talking about because you don't want to get accused of of ageism right but I am going to go down this route a little bit so I actually read a couple of studies online about the impact oh, yes I I'm, I am tragic uh, the impact of um of aging on on a workforce right so I I'm I'm a manager there I you know I I have you know I employ staff I judge people and all that kind of stuff on and how they produce, and I have uh, a couple of guys who are working past retirement age, and I—they're my best people, right? Mm. And and the reason for that, because there's often a real stigma attached of of people who are working past retirement age, but their experience and knowledge is fantastic, right? And and but what what in the, these both these studies found is that the thing that people who work past retirement age struggle with the most is having to react quickly. Oh Jesus! So yeah. the, the, <laughs> the study, the study found that they want to think through everything and they want to consider all the consequences because of the wealth of their experience. Okay, that they know what can go wrong. They know they've made mis- lots of mistakes in the past where they've reacted to something and it's gone badly. So they need to weigh up the pros and the cons. You cannot do that in Premier League football, in my view. You do not have that time, and I, that's what I see. When we start talking about Roy, we we almost joke about the fact. Oh, Roy won't make a sub till here, till this point. He won't do that, and and sometimes people talk about how he looks on the on the sidelines where he's watching the team play badly, but there's no, there's seemingly no reaction, and he's always sort of almost deep in thought. And I genuinely feel that, and again, I might get accused of ages, and I promise you it's not the case. But I genuinely feel that that Roy Hodgson today is a a slower manager to react than he has been in the past. It's never been one of his characteristics to be decisive and quick, but. To to be to be in the the you know top level manager at 74. 73, 74. obviously he's, he has the ability to read a game and and make the changes and win matches right I think that's what he struggles with the most as Palace manager so I'm going to stop there because otherwise you know we're going to have five hours worth of podcast and me boring everybody but you know I, that that was the biggest finding of of people who work past retirement
0: age what do you think yeah, I mean, I, I disagree with you in a way, though, in terms of he doesn't have enough time to react. I feel like yesterday, you he did have enough time to react because of we saw how Wolves started. He had about 45 minutes to 50 minutes to change it up. I mean, we did improve in the second half, but I don't know if we should talk about it now. We improved not because of how we changed it up, because of how Wolves changed it up after they scored the second goal. And I've seen people already saying that. Well, you can't blame Roy for the result. You know, we did keep the ball. We had fifty-five percent possession. We dominated them with fifty-five percent, which doesn't sound right because you only have ten um, <laughs> more percent possession than them. But I don't think that was the case. I don't think we. It, it was a case of after we conceded second goal, Roy said, "You know what? Let's play it like this. Let's keep the ball. Let's pass it to the left, and let's do that." It wasn't the case. Wool just said, "You know what? Come at us," because they haven't conceded lots of goals. So when you're looking at yesterday's game. Yes, we did improve, but it wasn't down to us, in all honesty. Let's, if we're so, being realistic we're about the situation.
1: Yeah, just to be 100% clear, I wasn't saying that Roy didn't have the time to react. I was saying that the way he wants to react, he doesn't have the time. Do you know what I mean? So mm. I'm saying he wants to consider everything, but sometimes you don't have the luxury, and particularly at the very top level, you don't have 10 or 15 minutes. So to take the first half as an example of, of what I mean, right? You could see in the opening period of that game what was happening. I know he was getting free on the left. Nobody was going with him. They were overloading us in the channels at different times and they were getting lots and lots of crosses in. And you just felt, and we said on on the watch along, at some point it's not going to fall for us, right? At some point it's going to fall for them and we're going to be in trouble. Now, I'm saying that Roy will be looking at that and seeing it, and I just don't think he has that drive or inclination to want to change it because he'll be sitting there thinking well look it's 10-15 it's minutes into the game I can't change everything now if I change this this will happen if I do that that will happen and by the time you've got through that thought process of if I do this that if I do that if I do that I can bring that by the time you've got through that we're 2-0 we're down you know what I mean that's what I'm getting at I'm saying I don't believe he has the capability anymore to, to act in games where we need to react and I think that's borne out by the statistics where if we go ahead in a game we don't lose but we find it very very difficult to get back into games where we're losing and I, I think that that's the proof is in those statistics so there you go that's that's my theory for the week but that, that'll do for that yeah um so let's just uh, let's sort of uh, hit a little bit of a pause on that and just talk about what our, our overall feelings of the game we've talked about some of it already Um. But, I mean, I would sum it up in saying it was a poor first half and we looked second best in terms of our intensity. Um, And as we've talked about, Wolves have just done such a good job in preparing for how they needed to play. And, you know, they started that game with the ideas in their head. The first thought in their head was not how do we stop Palace because they don't need to think that first. It's how do we break Palace down? Because that's Palace's reputation and rightly so. They are a tough team to break down because they pack numbers in the box. They force you into wide areas and and try and force you into long shots that don't really, you know, threaten the goal on a regular basis. And they just they just fill in all the pockets. So their thought was, how do we move Palace about? How do we create the gaps in their in their usually strict defense? So that that was the story of the first half. And the story of the second half, as you've already said, was Wolves took their foot off the gas, dropped two gears, and to our credit, you know, we obviously got in there at half-time and got in and about the side because the, the performances weren't good enough in the first half and they were much better in the second. Mm. But again, you, you, you've almost said it's nothing to do with Palace and it was all to do with Wolves. On somewhere in between, I think it, a lot of it was to do with Wolves standing off us and just thinking, we'll pick them out on the counter. Um, that's my
0: summary of the match. Anything you wanted to add to that? You know the thing about the second half where we talk about we improved? In the second half, I still felt like, correct me if I'm wrong, we did have shots, but I remember Andros taking shots from outside the box. They weren't they weren't that really threatening. Even though Wolves sat back, they still created more clear-cut chances than us. I, in the second half alone, they could have easily scored at least another two goals, at least, um, if they took their chances because it was on a plate for them. So in a way, where Wolves did sit back, you can argue that tactically, they got that bit right as well in terms of, making sure that they don't concede a goal because we couldn't, I don't remember us putting pressure on the Wolves goalkeeper and real producer and saying that, you know what, we're going to score. We're going to score. Like we didn't, we didn't cause a pressure like that. Like they did for Vicente Guaita in the first half, even though we kept the ball in the second half. So I feel like even though we did keep the ball, Wolves is still played in their favor. They created the more threatening chances. And at the end of the day, they were solid defensively. So you have to give credit to them, I guess, for how they played. But overall, in terms of our performance, it still it still was an up there. I don't think, and you could put the blame on the players. You can put the blame on Roy, but I mean, you think it's down to the tactics. I've said it in a watch along. I don't think these players are this bad that they have to play this type of football. Um, give 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 Roy the Wolf squad. Give Nuno the Palace squad, and hundred percent you'll see a different result. And it's simple as that. I feel like managers sometimes you can under appreciate how much of an impact they have on individual squads. And we've been playing like this for under Roy for a good while now. So I feel like the players have lost a bit of freedom going forward.
1: Well, definitely. And, you know, it is, t- it is tough and you, you don't want to, you know, be, be overly negative every single week and, and, and blame everything on the manager because that's kind of the modern sickness in the game. But you cannot ignore the fact that, I mean, especially as Roy said it himself, the squad that we have is as, you know, as as deep and as talented as he's ever had as a palace manager. He's having to leave people out of of an 18 man matchday squad, Mm. which he said he's never had to do before. Um, so there aren't the, the usual excuses of Roy's never been backed in the, in the transfer window. You know, we've spent a fortune, um, you know, we've broken our transfer record. I think, well, no, we're second, second in terms of SA, 20 million or something. Um, I suppose you've got Benteke and Sako above him, and then it's then it's Eze. So that's a lot of money to spend, um, you know. We've we've brought good players in on, on good salaries. We've given him the players he's asked for over the last couple of years, um, other, than, other than other than in forward areas where it's been a real challenge. But you know he, where he is now, the the excuse of saying I know you know I don't have options. I don't have options to change game on the bench. There's no one to bring on, which are all the things that he used to say. Noticeably, he doesn't say that now. He can't... Um, what he says now, what he says now is Wilf's not playing well enough. That's what he says now. But um,
0: sorry, I'll be a bit, bit
1: facetious there. But yeah.
0: But we do have options off the bench. We saw it in the second half. What do you make of them substitutions? I, you, you look at Eze as came on, and you look at Jordan now you came on. But well, personally, I, just, in a way, yes, though, he did make subs and he brought on Eze in the sixty fifth minute, which was earlier than his usual seventy five. But we didn't really change the way that we played. I mean, bringing on Eze is all good, but the system didn't work in the first place. I don't think it was down to individual, uh, individuals not playing as good as they were against Fulham. It was just a simple fact of the system that we approached this game with, it didn't It didn't help Jeffrey Schlapp because I can't name one player who had a good game and say that, you know what, he was going forward, he was creating chances. And when you look at that and you look compared to the Fulham game where you can pick out loads of players... It clearly shows that depending on the system that you approach the game with, it matters a lot. And in this game, Wilf was out of the game. Andros was helping out Klein all game long. Jeffrey Schluck, he had a decent second half, but of course he didn't have a brilliant game. But it seemed like we had to change how they play rather than who plays.
1: Well, that's exactly right. We do have to change how we play to to start getting these results better. And... I think this this was the problem. This is the problem of looking at league tables this early in the season and things like that. Because lo- last week, as you rightly said on the watch along, you know, people were like, oh, where are the Roy haters now where well, we're fifth in the table or tenth in the table, depending on when you looked at it. But do you know what I mean? It was like three points off the top. Oh, we should have got, you know, if we'd, if we'd got that point against Everton, we should have got and we'd beaten Brighton like we should have done. We'd be top of the league. Why? You know, all that kind of stuff. And as we talked about, it's all the ifs and buts the other way, uh, and there's probably a lot more than them. But if you look at, you know, again going back to 2020, going back to the trend of results, even if you take, you can take the last 10 games, you can take the take the last 20 games, you can take the last 30 games. You know, the word I keep using is trend. The trend is of a massive downward arrow. Our performances, in my view, aren't getting better. Our results, in my view, aren't getting better. The just and people are kind of hanging their hopes on the idea that we're doing enough to stay in the league. And this isn't a squad that should be thinking about doing enough to stay in the league anymore. And ultimately what we do, and what we so the Wolves game in particular is a great example of this. If we start every game by thinking about, let's work out how we're going to defend and then see how we're going to attack, that immediately hands the initiative to the opposition to start the game thinking, let's think about how we're going to attack and break them down. And we'll worry about whether we need to defend later on. And that's if that isn't handing the initiative to the, and the opposition in a game of football, I don't know
0: what is. I feel like expectations around the fan base has changed on the squad as well. Uh, because of how we played under Roy for so long, I feel like people are not realising that we've actually got one of the best squads since we got promoted to the Premier League. You look at the players, yeah. we've got Eze there, who's got high potential. We've got Wilf there, who's meant to be in his prime, he's scored five goals this season. you got Michi back in the side. I know not everyone likes him, but um, he's proven under Roy to score a couple of goals as well. He had the offside goal yesterday. Um, you got you got some talented players in the squad. But the thing is, we don't use the talent to his best of abilities. And we haven't for a long time. So now you have people saying how, well... You can't really blame Roy because we approach a game like this and maybe the players are not good enough and but I, I don't think it's down to that. I feel we have got good players. We really have. And of course things can go for the worse if you appoint another manager I and mean, you could go for the better. But um, yeah, it depends. It depends on how you approach it. And the players that we got, it, it suits a more attack minded manager because we have got some good attackers back of the nest sponsored by pitch sport fun time videos choose your match day squad
2: post match ratings and much more available to download on the app store
1: and google play pitch dot. away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery you win. order now on the mcdonald's app
2: That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116 123. That's 116 123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. I think we've got to
1: recognise that it's not easy, right? I mean, in Hmm. particular, we have to accept that when Roy joined Palace... What his method for dealing with the squad and for getting us to, to stay in the Premier League was exactly what he's still doing now. And it made sense, didn't it? You know, to work with a, a fairly depleted squad, he had to deal with so many injury problems and, you know, lo- losses of form and, and you know, failures in the transfer windows. He's had to deal with all of that. And so his methods for, you know, the first couple of se- full seasons in particular, but especially that first half season he joined, well, more than half a season because De Boer only lasted... A handful of games didn't he but you know what i mean he 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 came in and did a fantastic job he's just never been able to transition anything and it because it is dangerous it's risky you you know and and we mentioned deborah there that's why he failed as quickly as he did uh somehow still gets manager jobs but but there we are but he he tried to change everything overnight so it's a tough thing to do i think it's really important we recognize that it's not an easy thing particularly for roy hodgson to have to do to now accept he's got a better squad that he needs to trust them. But I'd have much more comfort with that if he didn't keep coming out in the press and saying that we have to play this way, because we don't anymore. and There's no two ways about it. We do not have to play that way. And what is the point of going out and signing massively talented players, as they being the latest of them, and just not trying anything to accommodate them at their best? I'm not saying necessarily buy a player from the Championship and build the whole team and philosophy around him. But you have to have some kind of thought in your head. And and what we saw straight away, and fair play to Eze for buying into it, was Hodgson Hodgson say, you know, and saying to him that he's going to come have to come in and learn to play this left-sided midfield role. And you know, he's going to be allowed to drift central, but that's where he's going to play. And you think, well is that the only way that we can deal with that? But there's so many different things we can talk about there. I was going to talk really quickly about his post-match comments. And, and once again, you know, I don't, I mean, he's he pretty clear that he wasn't particularly happy with the, with the first half performance. Um, but again, very much clear that he felt that the second half was an improvement, which it was. But it was. we can all talk about the reasons for that. But it, it was an improvement. But he talked again about being, you know, he talked about how he was very, he was satisfied with a lot of the team. He was asked whether or not he'd make changes for the Leeds game, and he said, um, he said, well, well, you know, most of the team played well.
0: Well, did, did just, well, well they did though. If you're looking at a Roy Hodgson' hmm. perspective, they did. They, yeah, I they, suppose they did yeah. They didn't play that bad because. They, you know, they were trying to do their roles, and it just was our day. Even though we made a good fist of it in the second half, as Roy said, um, I, I even I don't agree with that statement. But I can see, I can see why he thinks like that. And uh, I, who would you change in a Leeds game? That's the thing. I wouldn't. Mm. I wouldn't change loads as well because when you're looking at the four four two formation, I would like Ezzy to start. I would like Eze to start from a long time ago. But realistically, as they're starting against Leeds out wide, is that going to help him? Is that going to help?
1: Probably not. No, that and that's yeah. But I think we've said it's not necessarily the, the lineup that needs to change. It's just our whole <laughs> philosophy that needs to change, which is really really tough. Um, I want to ju- just jump jump in one of the uh, one of the questions slash comments that we got. Uh, so it was Thomas Lopez who got in touch and said. Will we ever be able to come back from a deficit with Roy in charge? Now, first of all, the word "ever" in there is, you know, because we have done, you know, and so the answer to that question immediately is, well, yeah, but I, I know what the the spirit of the question is, you know, it. Well, we've already talked about it. It doesn't suit us to have to come back from going a goal down because of just how dramatically our pro- approach needs to change. So, my answer to that question is yes, but very not not very often. So, DR, what? What did would we need to change to actually be able to start getting back into to games? You know,
0: I was thinking about it after yesterday's result, and you know, before I went to bed, I was just thinking about everything. I was thinking about Steve Parish and how he sees this, but I don't think even he cares that we don't have a plan B because you know what? That plan A that he's got, or if you call it a plan A, it is going to keep us up, isn't it? It most likely it will keep us up because you're looking at the league table, nine points above the relegation zone, so. I don't, I don't think we we do, we do ever have to think about that because we are, we are going to have games like we did against Fulham where we will score first and we're just so good defensively after we score a goal that we don't have to be worry about plan B and we just have to make sure that plan A is so great. So, I, of course, if we're talking about um, what needs to change, we we have to have a different formation first and foremost when things go wrong because 4-4-2 doesn't always work out as we saw yesterday. I would like us to play 4-2-3-1, um, especially I think that would work Good yesterday against Wolves um, put Ez essentially, keep Schlock out wide. Andros on the right hand side, take out um one of you know one of the midfielders potentially and try to go more at it. But in a way, I don't think it really it really matters because yeah, that happened against Wolves, but in the long run, he is going to keep us up, isn't he? With that plan A.
1: Possibly. And, and I don't want to speak for people, and I'm and I'm only speculating, but I would I you know I would think that certainly Steve Parrish as a Palace fan has the same thoughts and feelings that we do when he, when he has to watch the team struggle. I really do. And I know you don't, but I, I would always point back, and I'm sure over the years he's changed a little bit, but I would always point back to uh, how he dealt with George Burley after we lost 3-0 to, to uh, Millwall uh, when Punch and scored a hat-trick against us. You know, to me, that was a that was a real Palace fan reaction. Fire the manager immediately because we well, lost three 0 to Millwall. I
0: loved it. Um, but it's changed now, though. It's changed because now you're in the Premier League. Now you're talking about Premier League money. Now you're talking about not only Steve Parish, because we have got American investors as well. So it's not all, only up to Steve Parish. Um, and you're to, and you're talking about a transition phase um, in terms of we're trying to bring in younger players. We're trying to build a new stand. We're getting this Cat One football. So how I see it is that. Steve Parish is probably looking into this, saying that you know what, I am absolutely bored watching this team play, but I don't want to risk it and get another manager right now because the chances of us going down right now is pretty, you know, low. So I'd rather we stayed up in the league, had a bigger guarantee with that, completed the new main stand, completed, you know, Cat One Football, make sure everything's running smoothly, um, bought in younger players. Then we can start a new, fresh squad and new, bringing a new manager.
1: Yeah, but like I say, we we can only speculate on that. I I think you know I I think you know Roy Roy's days are numbered anyway, and I do think that wh- whether or not anything will happen before the end of the season will depend if we carry on as we are, because I you know I think the ten points we have got is in in my view is a little bit misleading. Um, I think we'll see we'll see if I'm right about that because the fixtures we've got coming up aren't as hard as the fixtures we started with. Mm. So we should be picking up more points than, than we did, which would put us in a very, very good position. Personally, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I really don't. But um, let's let's move on a little bit now. Um, so just to rattle through the goals. First goal, and we've talked about these themes already, the ball was put into the channel. It's pod ends. Uh, so this time he was popping up on the right-hand side, uh, puts the ball into the box with a cross. Uh, Coyote heads it out. But as soon as he gets that header out, if you if you sort of freeze frame the, the positions that we're in, this there's, there's I think there's a, there's a there's four players I think in the Palace box, marking two Wolves players, and nobody is with the runner in terms of Ait Nure getting forward. Townsend is the closest to him, but by the time he realises he needs to react to what Coyote has done, it's too late. He can't go, he can't you know close the gap, and it's a really good finish drilled into the drilled into the corner. Um, but defensively it's really really poor with Palace not picking up players.
0: I think what one thing that we realised yesterday is how big of a miss Mitchell is and how big of a miss Woody is. Um look, Klein is coming to the side at the following game, we got a win, of course, but he's looked off the pace, he's looked off the pace against Wolves. Now, I am not blaming blaming him at all for for the position that we're in right now because it's a bit harsh due to how many games he's played. He's been out injured for a very long time. So I don't expect him to come in and perform at high standards in the first place. And then you look at left-back position, Van no, he's been out injured as well coming in this game. And it's, they got the better out of us. Maybe, you know, if you had Mitchell there or Wardy there, we may have been able to cope a bit better with the crosses and do a bit better defensively with the full-backs. But yesterday, I think we really did miss them plays of, um, of Wardy and also Mitchell.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I definitely give you that. But uh, you know, the thing with Klein, you're spot on. I think that's his second um, Premier League game since February mm. of you know, and, and that's that's a very very hard thing to to come back in and play at that pace. But there we go. You know, he did a good good enough job against Fulham. Was exposed a little bit against Wolves, but he was far from the only one. And you're right, it was. I'm, in a way, I'm quite pleased we missed Mitchell as much as we did because it just validates that idea. When when PVA's out, you always wonder, are we are we maybe giving too much praise to this academy product because he's he's coming in and he's solid? But as we talked about in the um, in in the watch long, he it was actually his passing that I missed the most. The calmness, you know, he it's always an option for a for a pass out there. Very rarely gives the ball away. And he's, he's quite decisive about when he wants to play a ball forward. And a lot of our goals have actually... He's had a pass in those goals somewhere. And typically sort of drilling the ball in at pace to Will's feet. Um, he's, you know, he's had one direct assist and he's always, always tends to be involved. So I think we really missed that part. And as much as PVA did a good job attacking, yeah, um, yeah we, we definitely missed uh, Mitchell. The second goal, DR, This was Palace standing off Wolves yet again. So Jimenez this time was on the right-hand side. Um, and he crosses it to the guy who crossed it from the right-hand side last time, Podens at the back post. But, you know, and you had Neto central, and we just couldn't cope with that whole game. Um, so no one was close, and this was even worse. So we had four marking two last time. In this one, when you see the the ball land at Podens' feet and he strikes it, as it crosses the line, we've got six players in the penalty area, um, and none of them were marking Podens. you know. So one of their front three gets to tap in at the far post with nobody even seemingly
0: aware that he's there. Yeah. Um you'd think that the central midfielders who were so narrow would actually come in and tuck in and you know do their job in the middle because out wide they weren't they weren't as effective with their supports. Um it was mainly down to Andros with helping out clients. So you'd expect one of them you know to be back in midfield. But um in the back line. But yeah, it's just overall we just poor goals to concede and it was so simple as well because they hammered us absolutely with all them crosses. Um and they were mainly going to back posts. I've realised that. They weren't they weren't crossing to the middle, they were crossing to the back post and they were causing problems like that. And we just couldn't cope with them. And you would think that when you got Cheek Kiate there and Scott Dan there, that there'll be enough aerial threats. But because Wolves attacked so much in numbers, we couldn't, it, it wasn't about Kiyote and Scott Dan mainly. It was about the other players who would come in support. And we just didn't have that.
1: Definitely. And and, and I suppose the old the old th- uh, thing that Patrick and I talk about quite a lot, which is we're, we're more concerned with being in the right space than being with the right player. Mm. And, you know that's that's something that again, you, if you listen to the words that talk, you know that the manager talks about. You listen to the things that the players say over a period of time. You can pick up on this stuff, and we, we know, you know, our, our defensive work is all done a lot about being in the right place, being in the right zone, and a, and a clever manager and a clever set of players can actually use that against you. And, and Wolves definitely did that. Uh, but there were some incidents in the game that make you think perhaps, what if? You know, we certainly didn't deserve more out of the first half, but we did have a, a couple of quite major incidents. Um, so the first, I suppose, let's talk about Batshuayi. Uh, just to get the, the couple of questions on him before we talk about it, um, Jake has said, uh, as will, will Batshuayi ever stay onside? Um, and also um, uh, there was another one from, oh, I've deleted it, but there was another one asking about Batshuayi being offside all the time as well. But never mind. So that that you know is is a theme. He's now got three goals in three, uh, none of which counted, of course, <laughs> which really doesn't help. But I mean, some people were really sort of arguing passionately that that meant any criticism wasn't warranted of the team because you know oh, right. you know it's such a fine line. VAR's done us again, and you're like, okay, VAR is over analytical. It takes it takes the sort of mar- fine margins out of the game. And you know, yes, probably in the past that was tight enough for it to be given as a goal, but we're all, you know, we're all aware of what it is now. And the, and the bottom line, and I hate to say, it as a as someone who's just suffered the consequences of it, but he was offside,
0: wasn't yeah, he? I, it was clear. It was. It wasn't one of them ones where you're looking at his toes and you're looking at his pinky and seeing if it was offside. He was. He was clearly offside. His foot was offside, and <laughs> I guess. People are just not happy with that because in hindsight, you're looking back and you're like, oh, it's, it's, it's still a bit tight. But I don't think it was as tight. I think it was more clearer than all the other offside calls that um been proven wrong in the Premier League so far. And the only wild decision which I may say was a bit harsh, maybe, was maybe the Luca one. Apart from that, huh. I feel like yeah. the goals, the offside rules were fine. It's just that red card.
1: Well, I'll definitely come to the red card in a second. The other one you mentioned, of course, was we were given a penalty. Um, and this time Zaha's foot was offside. I think it was Zaha's foot at the top of the screen yeah. um, before the foul happened. And, and that one, I found that quite hard to take because it was, you know, the penalty was given. We were lining up. Luca was lining up to take it. And it got to that point before a, a replay suddenly popped up on the screen. And straight up, you're like, ah, oh, his foot's offside. So his whole body, everything about him, is actually quite significantly onside, but it's an outstretched foot, and you knew it. You know, again, you can't argue with it the way we the way offsides are given now, and the fact that it's a foot makes me even less inclined to
0: argue about it. If we need to change the rules. I've I've been a big um, advocate of this, of that. The offside rule should be that the player's whole body should be offside from now on, because you're looking at tight margins. Where, of course, that might change the game a lot when you're thinking about it. Players may have a massive head start, but right now, when you're looking at not this game, I'm not only talking about this game, but in general, when you're looking at these offside calls and you're looking at every small thing, whether in his boot was offside or whether his hands were offside, um, it's it's too tactical. To Whereas if you do the whole body, then you can see much more clearer, possibly, of whether well, they're offside. It, without,
1: without VAR, it always used to be, the word people used was daylight. It should be daylight between the defender and the attacker. Otherwise, it's it's fine. And I think, I can, perhaps it's just the, the idea of change that's a problem, but that always used to work great. And you used to be able to reward people for being on the move and leaning in and getting that extra half yard and what have you. Mm. But now it's um, it's just too scientific and too clinical and it doesn't always feel like that's um, that's, that's suit in football. But it's the same rules for everybody. You, know, you can't really put too much emphasis on the fact that that penalty was taken away from us because it was offside. You can't put too much in the fact that Batshuayi scored yet again because it was offside. So those things don't count. They show the fact that we did create a chance to to get Batshuayi in on goal, which is a positive. And they, they also show that we, we were far enough into the penalty area to get someone fouled in the penalty area, which is a positive. I'll give you that. But other than that, we, we can't really say too much. Um, there was a penalty that wasn't given, and it wasn't that noticeable until replays came up. Um, and i have to say i've now seen it a few times since because i, I kind of missed it during the game um and it was mentioned by some of our listeners on the watch watchers on on the watch along and you know there was a it, I, I didn't quite get the context of it but i haven't seen it back i don't understand why that's not given other than the fact it's martin Atkinson have you seen it back dear?
0: i haven't seen it back i'll be honest with you but it was i, I remember it was wolf wasn't it and there was around two to three Wolves players surrounding him. But they did show the replays and I don't know. I, I felt like he, from watching it, from only from the watch long and how we view the game live, it did seem like there was a contact with the ball there as far as I can remember. But what what did you see different?
1: Yeah, I haven't seen it back. There's no contact with the ball and there's contact oh. with his ankle. And the shocking thing for me is... That it wasn't clear whether var looked at it i believe from what people are saying since because again we, you know we're watching this thing live and i don't have the benefit of how the, the coverage went across seeing it back i could just see the incident but uh, it seems that var did take a look at it look at it and just went with the on-field decision because they didn't feel it was clear enough but you know if that's not a clear penalty I, I really struggle to know what is um, especially when you think about the decisions that have been given against us of late uh, around those handballs and things like that you know if that if those were clear and obvious decisions to be to be rectified, it's certainly the foul on Wilfers. And who knows the, how much that might have changed the game. We've talked about it already. We were a different side when we score, when we get confidence, and particularly if we do get ahead. And absolutely, it would have changed the game. But we can't be too upset with the result because we were second best. Um, so let's talk about that red card very quickly. Um, Roy Hodgson was, was adamant in the press that he was furious about it, not just that he felt it was harsh, that it was absolutely a perfectly timed challenge and you cannot penalise players for that. I mentioned when we looked at it live that Sacco was sent off for something very similar, so I wasn't surprised when the red card came out. Um, So that was last season, wasn't it, when he made a nice clear tackle against uh, Bournemouth? Yeah. Um, And the follow-through, unfortunately, caught caught another player quite high up on his leg. Uh, This time, the studs were up, it hit the ankle, but Lucas won the ball absolutely cleanly with what would be called a great challenge. Probably no more than three four years ago someone would talk about that as a fantastic challenge yet we're now talking about that as a red card obviously Fulham had um, Kamara sent off against us for something probably worse because the ball had long gone but it was still fairly innocuous and and quite harsh on the player and this time around we've suffered and and what
0: do you think? I I think they've changed it in terms of yes you did get the ball but it's a follow through was it still a dangerous play and when you're looking back at it and when we was watching it live, I understand why they gave that red card because of how they've made their decisions this season on the dangerous play situation where he did get the ball first and Luca, we saw it afterwards, he was in disbelief because he did get the ball and he knows that as well and we all saw it. But afterwards, you can see that his studs were up and it did hit, I don't know what Wolves play it was, uh, but it did hit their ankle, um, his studs. So I understand why they might give that red card because of how the rules have changed. But as you said, two, three years ago, we're not even talking about this. We're not, there's not even a discussion point on the podcast about whether that should have been a red card because he got the ball. And yes. it's, it's basically the rules changing, VAR changing it. Because you, as you mentioned, the offside rules as well, it was it was different way before, but now you're looking at every small thing. So I feel like as soon as VARs come in, some of the rules, they're going more by the rule book rather than using the common sense. And yeah, it does and get annoying here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it another way of, of how would I feel if I was watching that incident and Luca didn't make a challenge, you know, w- would I, would I accept Luca or any other player thinking, well, I can get the ball, but I might catch him with a follow through. So I better not do it. And I would be, i would be saying certainly to my central midfielder, you know, you've got to. You've got to die to make that challenge. The ball's there to be taken. Get it. You know it's competitive. Football's played at such a high pace. You can't tell me that that challenge is that much different to to probably thirty or forty other tackles across the Premier League that just so happened didn't catch someone's ankle on a follow through. Because you've got to send the ball off. If you're, going to, if you're making the decision to send him off just purely because he happened to catch the player, then it's all about intent and recklessness, right? So in that, in that incident, in that you've got to then go around to the entire league and say, okay, if you dare to make a challenge where you're stretching for the ball, even if you get it, because you might hurt someone, I'm going to send you off from now. And not, not I'm going to give you a yellow card, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to send you straight off the pitch from now on. And that's how I feel about it. And that's why I actually agree with Roy being furious and having thought about it. It's, it's a contact sport.
0: Like I don't understand it. If football wasn't a contact sport, then I'll understand. But when you look at all the challenges and you look... A challenge which VAR doesn't look at, then there's so many situations where it's a dangerous play. Of course, a player can get injured. It's football. You're not going to be hugging players to get the ball off them. It's not. We're not playing tag here. We're playing football. And you're going to be, of course, some of the tackles are going to be a bit harsher than the others. But I'm pretty sure throughout the game, there's, there's probably lots of moments that we don't realise that could be classed as a dangerous play if it's put in slow motion and VAR checks it. I, that's the thing. If he gets the ball first and foremost... Um, it it shouldn't be a red card unless it was a genuine intent and he did do a dangerous play afterwards but it wasn't it just yeah imagine play. yeah if, if he
1: if he jumps off the ground two feet and just happens to get the ball first and then smashes the guy you know obviously you're going to think red card if, if it's completely out of control but look to look to normal challenge for me I, I, that's an interesting idea that he came up and I'm wondering if we could get that kind of creative thinking in our coaching setup, tackling players by hugging them. I, um,
0: <laughs> that might we'll, work. Do you think it's, we have fast enough players for that? Hmm. Jeff Schluck can yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. yeah, so Jeff can catch a couple of players. Instead of trying to tackle him, just give him a little, little a squeeze and a hug. <laughs> see if he releases the ball. That might be an idea. I um,
0: don't edition. know if it's
1: punishable by a by any kind of VAR decision, but it's worth a go. <laughs> might be dangerous um,
0: if squeeze them too hard.
1: So, look, we've, uh, I'm going to skip the player performance topic um, because I don't really think there's too much to talk about there. I mean, will mention I thought Guaita was good in goal, caught yeah. a lot, uh, made a couple of good saves. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's a superb keeper. Uh, but other than that, it was hard to pick out anyone. I, I think lots of players tried really hard. Um, I didn't really see anyone on there who didn't give, give their all. I just saw people who were you know either... Not 100% match fit, or were restricted by the by the things that they were asked to do, really. Yeah,
0: simple as um, that.
1: So just to pick up just to pick up on a few of the la- the last questions, going back to Jake's message earlier, he, t- he he asked a few other questions, really, and one was, will we ever take the game to any team? Hopefully, any team, but you know the evidence isn't necessarily there. If you think back to the cup last year, where we um we let we d- we decided to pay Colchester the ultimate respect, of giving them the ball all the time. Uh, did the same thing with Derby, and um, and obviously when we played Bournemouth, albeit with a with a weakened team, we also let them dominate the game as well. So the, the signs aren't good, Jake. Uh, you ask if we're looking for a manager to replace Roy at the end of his contract, who will actually let attacking players express themselves, or will there be another Roy extension? I fear another Roy extension, but I believe we are certainly exploring options, and, and I personally believe that, uh, and, you know, unless we cannot simply cannot either convince the person we want or. Um, we, we we don't believe that the, the people we've identified are good enough I could I could arguably see Roy getting another year but that would to me that would be some sort of desperation so I'll uh, I'll leave that there um, Mark Drew also got in touch and said would Roy you know is Roy going to play a system to make our flare players shine we've talked about that as a, as a theme <laughs> I don't think Roy's going to change neither does DR there um, we're very quickly because this is a really long conversation and we had probably about 25 minutes of this in the watch along but uh Jack has asked, uh, "Does Luca always get treated as a scapegoat?" Hambo thinks yes. Dr. thinks no. Do we want to talk about that uh, at all?
0: Yeah, let's talk about it quickly. Um, I think if you're talking about scapegoats, he isn't Luca. Um, I think Wolf is a scapegoat most of the times. Um, but when you when you're looking yeah. at Luca, he he just doesn't. He hasn't performed as well as he has in the past. I know Hambo, you think differently, but he's he simply hasn't. We're Just watching him play, he's not as effective um i feel like he's a bit too slow at times um on the ball and off the ball and yeah simple as that i don't think he's a scapegoat he just doesn't perform good enough whereas there are there are weeks where not even weeks it's been a long time now that when whenever we don't perform people straight away look at wilf and say oh look he hasn't played good and all of that whereas when you look at the system it just wasn't set up in a way for him to succeed Yesterday,
1: yeah, I mean, you could make similar arguments about how we how we're employing the midfield and, and what that does for Luca as well. Mm. Uh, but look, I, I, you know, we, we'll bore each other if we go into this to too much detail because we talked about it at length a number of occasions. But what I would say about Luca is, first of all, I, I find it hard to get a really clear definition from people. I, I think I would agree with you that he is, um, you know, he, he is a more He's a slower player. He doesn't He doesn't play with a particularly huge amount of pace. But I think the job that he does, he's asked to do in the, t- the team, is around screening across the back four. I think that's fine. Um, and I think he has games where he does it well um, and contributes well in terms of his passing. Uh, and I think he has games where he doesn't contribute as well. Uh, but I think he's always doing a, a decent job of screening in front of the back four. And it's a very unglamorous job. But I do think, you know, I mean, obviously, I've been a Palace fan for a, for a very long time, as I'm sure of a lot of people who are either listening to or watching this. And I'm sure we can all remember loads of players over the years who just happen to get periods of time where they're the flavour of the month. They're the one that people are watching closely every week. The you know most recent time is one who suffered a lot from that deal was Jason Punchin, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. Where <laughs> every week, every week we seem to have that debate, and the you know the. The, the people on the show were kind of split between people who are saying, you know, rather around in uh, circles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he runs around in circles pointing. That was the, that was one argument. And the other argument was, he's, he's you know, we're better with him on the pitch than we're not. And, and all that kind of stuff. And we went around in circles a lot. And what always tended to happen was someone who player watched the player in question. So let's, let's say, let's talk about Luca. If you're, seeing all this criticism about Luka Milivojevic and you're wondering, you know, you're know, you noticing he's not having the impact he used to have on games, which is true. I think most of that is to do with the lack of free kicks and penalties, but he's definitely not having much of, as much of an impact in a positive way than he was previously. You start looking at why that is. And if you start player watching him with the mindset of, I'm looking to see what he's doing wrong, you'll find everything that he's doing wrong. Mm. Similarly, if I'm looking to watch Luka and say, well, let me, let, me, let me have a look. Can I see what the people are talking about? I'll obviously be probably looking at it thinking, well, he's made that pass there, that pass there. What's his pass success rate? 86%, better than all the other midfielders. That's what I did last year. I was like, well, I don't get it because he's more successful at all of his passes than everybody else. He has more touches than everybody else. So what is it that people are seeing? And as ever, the truth is somewhere in the middle. It's clearly, for, for this many people to be questioning him, He's clearly not having the same impact that he did because we're all seeing something different. Um, but, but I think probably more importantly, if you look at the selection in the midfield, you could say Macarthur, McCarthy, and Redeveld are now ahead of Luca in terms of picking him, picking players to play central midfield. Yeah, that tells you probably everything you need to know that those people who are criticising him. Uh, are probably more right than I am in terms of me defending him.
0: but I just want to say if we're talking about yesterday's result in particular I wouldn't say Luca was at fault I wouldn't say we lost because of Luca because you look at the midfield as a whole I I, I don't remember Gyro having a in no, impact look, Luka like that against than, yeah
1: Nico was better than Gyro in the, in that game I have to say Gyro I think struggled because because he he got moved around too much you know the, he, he got dragged about the pitch and was very unsettled by that was was weaker in possession his passing wasn't quite up to the, the standard we'd seen against fulham but but i'm not going to judge him on one game you know either and, and luke has not had as much football as 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 he would have liked i guess um so let's see if he can if he can get back to a, a level people than happier with so i understand the question about whether he's a scapegoat or not i think there's some truth in it but i also think dr's right in that certainly um, Wilf seems to take the brunt of that we have people saying he doesn't care and he's down tools whereas last week he was a you know, 9.5 out of 10 outstanding player wasn't he So,
0: if he doesn't get a service what do you expect like yesterday he yeah. wasn't as involved as he was against Fulham because this is what I said after the Fulham game is don't get carried away because Fulham's defence is the worst they are statistically the worst team in the Premier League so yes we are playing some great football going forward and there are opportunities there but in the next couple of games, lacks of Wolves and Leeds, we, we will probably struggle because they are better teams defensively and we saw it. So, yeah.
1: So, talking about that deal, to wrap up the show for this week, we've got Leeds coming up as our next game. Um, another pay-per-view game, which uh, obviously, I, mean, I don't think they've got any plans on reducing that cost. I know they're looking into it, but I think the next two rounds of games for certain, it will remain at the ridiculous price of fourteen ninety-five. Um, so we'll do our best to cover it as the in, in the same way that we did for the Wolves game. But clearly, the, the headline for for the Leeds game is Patrick Bamford being a somehow now being a, um, a, a scorer in the Premier League, playing at a very very high level. So gut feeling is it going to come back to haunt us? Just how bad that haircut on legs was for us, or is he going to come and destroy us? Do you think?
0: You know what? I think I think he will hurt us. I really do think that. Um, and the one thing that I'm taking out of the Banford situation is that, yes, it's been a while since he played for us, but it just shows the impact a manager can have because I would, based on what we saw Banford at Palace, like, yes, you can grow as a player, but I don't think he'll grow this much that he's having an impact for this Leeds team in the Premier League and scoring tricks for them. Like, it is early on in the season, but he's having a massive impact. And, um, yeah, I think I think he will hurt us. I think it's going to be you know what? I think it's going to be even a more difficult game, and especially defending than the Wolves game because of how they play. They're going to control the game in a more manner, um, in a more specific manner, and maybe defensively they'll be more vulnerable. Um, Wolves haven't conceded that many goals, but Leeds have, so hopefully we take our chances on the counter attack. But it is going to be a difficult game.
1: Yeah, I think we're perhaps um, a bit of a different proposition for them in the sense that you know in a lot of the games that they've played so far they've they've had teams come at them and they've probably probably shown them a little bit too much disrespect in a way because they are a newly promoted side and i think that's what shocked them a little bit i don't think we'll do that but you know the question quite simply is can we go ahead in the game or not you know because if we go behind in the game we're in real trouble uh, because we we simply won't get back into it because we'd already have given them the impetus and the confidence and that's that's the theme of the last uh, last few weeks. But listen, we can't can't be, you know, looking at a, a game even though Leeds have been doing well. We can't look at a newly promoted side and, and think so negatively. You know, we've got to try and think how can we hurt them. Uh, and that's the only change I want to see. I'm not really bothered about changes in the lineup. I'd like um, like to see Mitchell back if he's fit. I'd like to see Ward back if he was fit because we just look more solid. But ultimately, whatever team we pick. It's not about the team; it's about the attitude and the and the mentality going into that match. Score prediction from you, dear?
0: Oh, geez! Uh, score prediction—you uh, just put me on a spot here. I'm going to go for a two-one Palace win. Um, I feel like we will we will hit them on the counter and we'll cause more trouble.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with a two-one Leeds win. i um, again I'm doing a lot of predicting <laughs> Palace to get beat at the moment, and it doesn't feel that good to be honest, but. Uh, I'm just gonna keep doing it until until I get proven wrong. I think
0: I'm not as fucked um, as you are. That's the thing. I I'm numb to this. Like I'm sitting there, I can yeah. talk about Roy as much as I want. But at the end of the at the end of the day, I don't want Roy to leave right now. I want him to leave at the end of the season if he wants to leave. And I'm just I'm just used to the fact that I went into the season, that I'm going to we should finish seventeenth and above, and that's my expectation. So as long as we're there, which sounds crazy after being eight years in the Premier League seven to eight years, I'll be happy. And that's why I slept easy yesterday night because it's just one of those things where we lost a game, we'll win one, we'll lose one, we'll win one, lose one. It's the inconsistency under Roy. It doesn't hurt me anymore.
1: Well, in fairness, I sleep easy when thinking about Palace as well because generally I'm thinking about the game and that just sends me right off to sleep. <laughs> but, uh, there we go. All right, let's leave that there. Thank you very much, um, DR, for being my panel this week on your own. Much appreciated. Um, Thank you to everyone at home for listening, and and special thanks to those of you who got in touch. Uh, Cheers for Mikey for producing this whenever he picks it up, leaving me and DR to do it on our own. Um, (laughs) So obviously make sure you subscribe to the podcast and all the relevant podcast apps, and you rate and review there. Five stars, please. Uh, A preview show will obviously be out prior to the Leeds game, usually a Wednesday or a Thursday that pops up. Like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, of course, and you'll see Dr's face a lot more, um, and that'll keep you up to date with all of our content. And, of course, if you search on any social media platform, search for Back of the Nest and follow slash like, whatever you want to do on that. That's the thing, isn't it? That's what you do on social media. You follow and like. And slash, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and slash, yeah. Yeah, Of course. Um, Anyway, so let's leave that there. Thank you very much. Until next time, come on, you palace. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.
0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.